It is seven minutes after eight o'clock here on AM 550 FM 99.9 and in Wausau 95.1 WSAU. And that can only mean one thing. Merle Kelch has plopped down in the studio. He's got his headphones on. He's got his notebook ready. Uh, He even has the tablet uh, up. He's not trying to set up, you know, halfway through the intro. So I think that means we're going to. It's kind of odd for a change. Yeah, I think that means we're going to have a we're going to have a good show today. Well, uh, hopefully if I'm awake. Yeah, exactly. For my friends that are listening to this, I had to get up at 5 o'clock to be here this morning. That's a little early for me. Mm-hmm. 31 degrees in Tomahawk this morning. Really? It was chilly. It was. Yeah, we were in the 40s here in Wausau on our way to a daytime high near, I believe, at uh, 75 last I checked. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, I left the windows open uh, for the cat overnight. And, yeah, it was 60 degrees in the living room when I when I it got was, up uh, this it morning. Chilly. It was June 4th, and I had to turn the heat on. You turn Wow. It was yeah, it, it, indeed. And we did have frost advisories up uh, for the Northwoods area as well. So, yeah, ho- everything uh, a little wacky uh, today. And, of course, I'm here hosting with Merle today, so that only means we're going to well, end up. Well, that makes it Yeah, it, it, we're going to end up going off the rails at uh, at some point if we haven't already. Uh, but, Merle, obviously, um, things have been uh, unsettled in your world, uh, to say the least, over the last few weeks. Uh, we have been teetering on uh, the edge of a bear market which correct me if i'm wrong that's uh 20 loss from the from the highs correct yeah and we've hit it a few times we just haven't settled at it okay so, we haven't settled at it all right that's so that's where we're at um that this has got to you know obviously make you uh make for some extra work for you at the office or at the if nothing else at least some extra extra comforting and talking people off the ledge uh, over the phone, I would imagine. Well, what's kind of, we say this in humor, but, uh, you know, I say sometimes it gets so bad I want to jump out of my window. Of course, it's on a first story and there's a bush outside, but I mean. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's well, it's, in it's, danger. It's an interesting thing. I mean, uh, the, the hardest part about my job is, is is really, sometimes I feel like I'm a counselor just to say, people, you got to hang on, you got to hang on, you got to wait for the numbers to, to come around. And, and some of the numbers are coming around and looking, um, you know, like we're, we're going to continue to keep moving forward versus continue to keep dropping. And we'll talk about that as the show goes on. You know, some of the things that I want to chat about just a little bit, folks, is that we continue to see money leaving the bond marketplace and selling off. And typically the money leaves the bond marketplace and goes in the stock market or vice versa. And uh, as a result of that, we're seeing bond prices come down and yields come up uh, again a little bit more. Um, that really doesn't mean much. It just simply means more money's going to the marketplace. And we're seeing a lot of in the term is thrust, and we'll talk about that in a second. But otherwise, another term is called capitulation. When the small investor starts getting out, that's when the big investor is coming in. And some evidence of that, if we take a look at Thursday in this past week, it's kind of interesting because we woke up in the morning. We had a great week just before Memorial Weekend. The market went up, and we jumped up quite a bit that week. Most people don't realize that. And also, we look up and we're like down 300 points. I'm like, where is this coming from? And so, of course, I see my clients that come back out, and I'm looking at it. Oh, geez, we're still there. So I go back in. It was a, a busy day on Thursday. I come out at the end of the day, we're plus 400. And I'm like, where'd this come from again? And here just basically is big money cash flowing into the marketplace and buying stuff up that's on sale. And some of the biggest places that had purchases being done were inside of the high-tech areas. You know, the tech areas that have gotten beaten up so badly, uh, people were going in and doing a bunch of buying on the inside and then drove the marketplace up. Of course, down a bit yesterday again, but... It, we just continually see all that, that money flowing in as the market drops off again. And that's one of the uh, things that you see in capitulation when you start to find a bottom uh, in a marketplace. And it, it looks like we're right in that neighborhood. So from that, we should see the marketplace start to go up. 
One thing I saw last week, and I, I want to put out here, is there's a number called the Institute for Supply Side Management, the ISM number. We've talked about it a number of times in this program, folks, but let me give you what that means because people see ISM. I like to have some fun with this. Um, when I first started in this industry, they call it the NAAPM, the National Association of Purchasing Managers Index. Well, that at least explained what it was. You know, a bunch of purchasing managers and their association uh, are interviewed. And they said, are you buying for expansion or contraction in the next six months? That was it. They've expanded to everything else in the world as an organization. Um, but it was really easy. So if it was for expansion, uh, 50% was the model. Uh, more than 50, we're looking for expansion in the economy. Less than 50, contraction in the economy. Mm -hmm. One of Alan Greenspan's favorite things, by the way. Along the way, they didn't think their name was sexy enough, so they changed it to the Institute for Supply Side Management. <laughs> The funniest so, thing I can oh, actually do. Yeah, that's, let's just that's go the ahead humor and, of the day, folks. That's it. It's the best I got. Let's just go ahead and overthink right. this a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. So so in here, their number dropped down from 57.1 from a month earlier and came to 55.9. And I looked at this and some people were like, well, that's terribly ISM dropped. No, when it's over 50, that's really good news. We were just insane a year ago when we were over in the 60s because we didn't have enough product in a purchasing manager trying to buy everything they can all over the place. Of course, causing some of the inflationary issues, too. But the number is still really good, and profitability is still out there, folks, and companies. It's still really good. Companies are looking forward. We saw with Tesla. We saw with Microsoft saying, hey, we think things are going to slow down the latter part of the year. It only makes sense because we've ramped up so high as an economy to fill all the supply chains back after we turn the economy back on uh, post-pandemic uh, here uh, during the uh, uh, pandemic. So, so with it, there's nothing in here that's telling us anything differently that we don't know at this particular point in time. Um, but the important thing is, is we're still making money as far as uh, the economy, corporate America. We're still moving forward yet. Unlike the news is telling us that everything's falling apart tomorrow. It's not, folks. Not okay. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it's eventually not. it will. But yeah, it, we, but, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get there. But uh, but of course, uh, neither you nor I know uh, know when that's going to be, and that could. Uh, get into a discussion of religious proportions, but we'll uh, we'll leave that uh, for another day right now. Uh, and that's some great information there, Merle. And, and you know, from my perspective, uh, for somebody that just has money in the company sponsored four hundred one k right now, I have uh, simply uh, forgotten my password for that. I'm not logging into it right now. I don't want to see what that's worth because uh, I know. That's just kind of a temporary or a for now price. That doesn't mean what it's going to be worth uh, a few months from now, even a few years from now, or a, a couple decades down the road when mm -hmm. I'm actually thinking about using it. And uh, perfect, you know, to perfect. me, that's that's what I've got to keep telling myself right now. Just don't even don't even look at it. Yeah, yeah. I have uh, um, clients of mine and friends of mine that we do work with, and they'll say, "Hey, how's my account?" And I said, "Look at it in September." Well, why? Well, because September is when things will hopefully get themselves straight and a little bit better. We'll have more clarity on inflation and interest rates. Don't look at it till September. If they ask me another time, I'll ask them, how much money do you have in your checkbook? Why? Well, then it's down. You get time to buy. It's on sale. And that usually shuts them up. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke, folks. But, you know, really, when we take a look at stuff, things are really on sale across the board in a lot of different places. And that's the time you start looking at it saying, hey, do you want to buy some stuff in? Uh, Warren Buffett, who's had some success in the investment world, I say Slightly. to cheek. Mm -hmm. um, he always says you buy at the time of the worst pessimism, um, and, and we're at one of those times. And so um, personally, we've been you know buying into the marketplace because it's, we've been picking stuff up that's been on the sale that we like. We've been adding to it on a fairly regular basis over the course of the last three months. 
Um, uh, I know that the market's going to go up because we still have too much profit out there. There's too much money out there. Um, uh, you and I still have too much cash. I'm speaking generally in the accounts uh, that we have to go through. and We have to spend it on stuff. And it's a general M2 money, money supply across the country is still buying things. And so that's the reason that companies are still filling up their inventories and supply lines to make it so that we can, they can supply us all the stuff we want to buy. So uh, it's still out there, still moving forward. Yeah, indeed. And my, you know, my, on that note, my other piece of advice to somebody, not that I should be giving advice uh, in situations like this, but I'd also like to think uh, I've put myself in the, in the spot that I'm in financially by being smart with my money. Not uh, you don't buy a house on your own by being stupid with your money. We'll put it that way Uh, would be just, yeah, take a step back right now. Nobody's hair is on fire. Wait it out and uh, and just see where where things go from here because uh, yeah, like nothing lasts forever but the earth and sky. Correct. Well, hopefully, I yeah. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's good for another fifty years, I'm golden. I Indeed. Indeed. He's Merle Kelch for making financial sense here on AM five fifty FM ninety nine nine WSAU. Of course, our banter. Uh, and uh, stories back and forth are simply filler for your phone calls as the phone lines are open. 715-845-2155. If you have a question for Merle, we will take some of those phone calls uh, coming up next here on WSAU. But first, we have to check in with uh, Chris and Meg out at a dairy breakfast here on WSAU. He is Merle Kelch. I am Mike Leishner, WSAU News Director. We are making financial sense here on AM 550, FM 99.9 WSAU. Uh, say, Merle, you uh, you do a lot of stuff uh, with your face. How about buying something with uh, with your face? Do you think you could uh, get on board with that in the near future? You know, Mike, I've never thought my face was uh, a face for purchase. So if somebody wants to buy my face, is that what you mean? Well, no, you like can an actually. NFT you of can, my mug? No, well, <laughs> I, maybe I. I actually I would buy that for for a couple of bucks at least. Mastercard testing new technology in stores that uses biometric identification to let your face be your credit card. Mm-hmm. Wave in front of the camera, smile for the camera, and boom, your purchase is complete. Yeah. No, no, no need to fumble around for that wallet or that phone anymore. Just smile for the camera. Why not? I'm, I'm a big fan of, of having uh, facial uh, authenticity, you know, making sure that your card is actually you and that whole bit. That part I am. But um, going through and, and just scanning your face, I, I it always kind of bothers me. It always goes back to the movie Minority Report, if you remember that Oh, movie. sure, yeah. You know, people are walking through, and all of a sudden, you know, camera comes up and says, hey, how did you like those new pantsy boxes that recognize your face? Actually, your eyes, I think it was in that show. Mm-hmm. Um, and that part kind of scares me. That's almost a little bit too much to a certain degree. Um, uh, but, you know, I think uh, having some way to authenticate that it's you doing a purchase is a great idea. I'm not sure if it just need to, needs to be my mug for that. I mean, that seems kind of frightening to me to a certain degree. Yeah, indeed. It's a, it's in testing now. You do have to sign up for it, and yeah. I think they've, they've only got it in a few stores in New York, according so I have to the story here. I have stepdaughters, and uh, they're identical twins, mm-hmm. and they can actually grab each other's phone and put it up to their face, Ooh. and it works. Yeah. So therein is where we lie a problem. There we go. There we go. So there, there's enough right there to, to shut down the idea eventually. We'll see how it, how it tests out, though, but then again, I never thought that I would be one to uh, to be paying with my phone on my card, but now I've got all the cards on the 
uh, Google Wallet so I can just hold my phone up to the gas pump or, or, sure. or what have you. Sure. So yeah, you, you, maybe it'll catch on uh, eventually. But they, these are the kind of tech stocks, I guess, that we should be uh, we should be investing yeah. in these you know, days. You know, kind right? of interesting here is you're talking about holding the phone up and uh, making sure that we have some sort of authenticity for things. So I like the the dual authenticity, though it's a, a, an extra step of putting your, your card in. It sends you a text on your card for the dual stuff. Um, I was I was uh, out in Africa in March, and while I'm out there in South Africa primarily, they've got such a problem with pe- people stealing credit cards and the numbers and that whole bit mm-hmm. that what they actually do now is they actually come up to your table um, with a handheld device, you know, like we would use for taking our order at a restaurant, and they come up, and they say, sir, please tap your card onto the machine. They tap the card onto the machine, and they do that to show that they're not taking your card, they're not touching your card, they're not using your card to make sure that you're only doing it right there to their spot. They hand you the receipt right there on the spot when it was done. And what's interesting is they had absolutely zero problems in South Africa using my credit card at all on anything. Um, I go to California. I come back, and I'm getting stuff purchased in Atlanta while I was in California from some gift stop, gift card shop. Um, so how is that? You know, it's just amazing right. to me. But I think someplace, because of necessity, that the technology has leapfrogged some of the stuff that we're doing in the U.S. And maybe it's because we don't have as big of a problem as they might have had at one point in time. But um, I thought that was pretty interesting uh, how that happened. Just tap your card on it, whatever the card was. Um, and it went right there. They gave you a receipt so you could see all the transactions that occurred right there on the spot. It popped up in your card. Everything was good. Didn't have one problem um, in uh, what really would be a third world country. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you hear us. A- Things like that happening all the time. I actually did get one of the uh, the uh, scam phone calls recently, and uh, I told the gentleman on the other end of the line, I, you know, I said, uh, you know, did you do you need this payment in some form of a gift card or something like that? And he goes, Yeah, that would be great. I said, Okay. I ask this because I work in the news business, and we occasionally do stories about people that have problems turning over numbers on a gift card and then never seeing their money again. I said, you know, I just want to make sure, you know, I'm protected in something like this. And the eventually the, the gentleman finally says, I tried to scam you and that didn't work. Now, can you realize that I am much worse off than you are and just give me $100? <laughs> At that point, I, I hung the phone up and I said, this, this conversation is over. So, yeah. Yeah, be always be on the lookout. Uh, and, and I have an article like I go pop with. I can share one more quick story. Sure. Um, my wife, she picks up the phones. She always calls it her friend spam risk, and she picks it up and just starts screwing with the people. And so one of them was, you know, say, you know, um, hey, uh, you know, you know, how you doing that whole bit? And they're doing great, and you know, asking about money and that whole bit. She goes, yeah. By the way, do you have that three hundred bucks you owe me? <laughs> Give me your phone number. I'll call you. I'll arrange this. Um, can you uh, get your credit card number? So I was going back to him and. Um, well, then, they, you know, they, they hang up on her. Well, then she starts bothering and calling them, calling them back because she had a number. I was so proud of her. It's just wonderful. Indeed. So, folks, we talked about this thing called um, Thrust in a Marketplace, and it's kind of an interesting article that popped up, and let me share it with you. It's called, it's by Mark Holbert, who, um, as a columnist, I really like his stuff. I don't always agree with it, but I really respect what he does. He does some great research on the inside. And so he has an article in Market Watch called This Market Strategist with a Spot on Record Seeks Stock Surging 15 to 25%. So let me put a preface in this. Um, Mark Holbert will use him as a strategist. In a techno- he's a technician, so he's looking at all the charts and stuff that are going up. So 
and with it, he puts the research behind the charts. So with Mark Harbaugh, he's um, Mark Hulbert. He's used him in the past, and this guy said that we should have a, a, an increase over this per percentage, over the drop, blah, blah, blah. And the guy's been spot on, and this is per Mark Hulbert. So one of the things he talks about is the thrust, which is the amount of power behind the purchases that go into the marketplace. And so in his example, they take uh, Wednesday, May 25th, for example, when three times as many stocks in the S&P 500 rose than what fell. And as a part of that, they put a ratio in there. Uh, and this comes from um, Hayes Martin, president of an advisory firm called Market Extremes. So in that, um, he puts a ratio for that day of the S&P 500 7.6, which is twice as high as something similar that they usually see on a regular basis. Well, then coming up on the 26th, the ratio went up to 8.4. The next day, 11.7. Then all of a sudden it jumped up to 12.6. And he said it's very, very rare that you see this type of uh, thrust behind the purchase inside of the marketplace. In fact, it's only seen a handful of times over the course of the last four decades. So the serves, uh, serves, ah, significance. There's a word here. It signifies, as he says, as a level of intense buying pressure that is rarely seen. So it goes through and he puts a, a chart together, folks. And when you see this sort of surge in a marketplace, or thrust is the term he's saying, since 1984 to date, um, the subsequent three months have been up about 5%, subsequent six months, um, about 9%, and the subsequent 12% um, over, uh, subsequent 12 months, um, over 21%. So if it's anything, as we talked about before, we're trying to find this part of capitulation where we're seeing some sort of a bottom. And this just almost puts another um, a feather in a cap of that uh, type of a, a animal. So it appears as though, in my opinion, that if we're not at the bottom, we're pretty close to the bottom. And hopefully you can get a little bit of uh, relax, relaxation and, and resting and not looking at your accounts and watching them drop down every day, uh, which so many of us, of course, wanted to jump out of the window, in my case, a one-story window. Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell people on a regular basis, don't look at your stuff. You know, we've bought it for years out, not two months, not six months. We've bought it for years out from now, so just leave the stuff alone. And even in my world, I'm in this industry, and I can look at my stuff every day and even my assistant in my office, and we tend to keep looking at it, even though we're now not supposed to, you know. So, but um, it looks in it, according to this article, um, and I, I recommend you read it if you're a person who's a trader out there. It's quite a good one. Uh, but I think uh, uh, we might be pointing towards that bottom as we speak, if we're not already there. Now, if you missed it, um, depending upon where you were, um, the pre-memorial weekend, some parts of it were up for 8% just before Memorial mm -hmm. Weekend. And we actually had some people cop in our office and sold out the week before. Ooh. So you can't time the market. It doesn't work. Yes, indeed. Just like at the casino, the odds are always in the house's favor. Oh, oh, certainly so. Of course. The beautiful part is at least inside of the marketplace, there's statistics behind you. Yes. Uh, and, and you can make money. You just have to be patient. Indeed. Indeed. Being patient has been the name of the game for uh, a lot of people uh, these days, whether you're we're waiting for baby formula or waiting for a delivery or whatever it is. It's yeah. It's been patient and, you know, kind of hearing you go through all that in there, we have another instance in the market where we're talking about something that hasn't been seen for decades or ever, if at all. Uh, so, again, be patient, play the waiting game, and trust somebody like uh, Merle Kelch with Kelson Associates to uh, to put you on the right track. Mm -hmm. It is uh, 8.29 right now. We've got a news update coming your way. We're going to check in with Chris as well at the Portage County Dairy Breakfast. So stay tuned for that. It's uh, all coming up next here on AM 550, FM 99.9, and in Wausau 95.1 WSAU. 
It is 8.35 on this Saturday morning. We are at, I just had my temperature. There it is, 56 degrees outside the WSAU studios in downtown Wausau. He's Merle Kelch. I'm Mike Leishner. We are making financial sense here on AM 550, FM 99.9 WSAU. Merle, you were, uh, uh, obviously the the phone lines are open. And in fact, uh, we actually have somebody calling in right now. So uh, hold that thought as we go to the phones here. At uh, 715-845-2155. Good morning. You're making financial sense with Merle here on WSAU. Morning. Yeah. Morning, Merle. Hello, sir. Who am I speaking to? Jim. Morning, Jim. Morning, morning, sir. I'm uh, I'm uh, 75 years old, and uh, what percentage do you think I should have in bonds, and what kind of laddering do you think I should use? Well, the percentage inside of bonds is always up to an individual. You know, for example, I've had people who've been 40 years old have had 50% inside of bonds. I've had people at 94 years old and wanted zero in bonds. You know, the classic measure is always like a 60-40 blend they talk about um, or a 70-30 blend. That's always the classic measure. But having a conversation between you and your financial professional would really be the conversation. It all depends upon, Jim, your sleep factor, which means can you sleep at night or not? Yeah. So, so in here, then the other question becomes as, as far as laddering bonds. What's interesting is we haven't heard about laddering bonds for a long time because of the price of price of bonds were so high. Um, I think there's a whole bunch of young guys in this industry and in, in business, and I'm picking on them, of course, a little bit. I don't remember how to ladder bonds. So, but uh, in here, I think the time has come. Um, we're starting to see prices coming down to a point where I would look at buying bonds for clients, and and I enjoy buying bonds; they're a lot of fun for me. Um, but I bet we haven't bought one for a client in four or five years as a result of the bond prices being too high. So, um, you know, whether it's corporate or whether it's municipals, um, it's entirely up to you. But what I would make sure you look at, Jim, is is if you can get price. And what I mean by that is this. Um, all bonds are sold on a $1,000 increment, okay? And so if you buy them at par, which is what you're looking to, to do, um, your $1,000 bond is going to cost you about $1,000. So if you're buying it at 110 versus par, uh, par is 100, um, you're paying now a 10% premium for that bond. And so what we all want to do in this industry is have those bonds come down to par. So what you want to do is make sure you're looking at those bonds and to make sure in that par range when you're purchasing them because when they mature, you get par back. You don't get anything more or anything less. I'm not sure if this is helping you versus giving you some more of the warnings, but a laddering is always good. Um, I like ladders that try to, you know, give me interest uh, on, a, on a monthly basis if I can. Makes a whole heck of a lot more sense to me. You've been very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck to you, Jim. Again, seven one five eight four five two one five five is the number to call. Or I guess uh, if you happen to have uh, Merle's personal cell phone, you can text a question into him, which I believe happened when we were breaking for the news. A friend of mine sent me a text here as we're sitting down here on the show, so I'm not sure if he's listening, but I'm going to answer your question online. So if you're willing for that, um, just text me and let me know if you're listening. Otherwise, I'll talk to you a little bit later. But laddering of a bond, let me chat what that is because, boy, it's an art that's really hasn't been done for a long time uh, simply because of where bond marketplace has been. You know, in a rising interest rate environment, bond mutual funds are not a very good place to be. And the reason is, is inside of a bond mutual fund, there might be two or 300 bonds, which in itself you might think that's a great idea. But the problem is that when interest rates go up, the bond values drop inside of that bond mutual fund. And you and I as the bond mutual fund holder can't wait until maturity 
so we just get stuck with the loss, and, and it's, it's really a terrible thing to be. The bond is a better place. And so if you buy the bonds and you structure them, knowing that corporate bonds, municipal bonds, for example, pay interest every six months, you might buy one that pays interest on January and July, the next one pay, pay in February and August, and you get the drift here March and, and mm -hmm. uh, September. And if you buy the bonds and you structure them like that, you can have it so that you have interest coming into your account every month or near every month if you structure and you do them properly. Um, and, and it works out great from an income standpoint. Um, and I love them when we're having volatility in the marketplace. We're in an interesting time in this, though, folks, is that um, the stock market is having volatility, but with the interest rates going up, bond prices are dropping. And so we're almost in a holding pattern, if I had to guess, until the end of summer to see how the interest rates settle themselves out so we can go back to buying a bond portfolio and laddering our bonds for income so the stock market volatility can be kind of put aside. We can say, well, we'll look at that in a few years coming down the road. So we're kind of in an interesting moment right now in this big macroeconomic cycle. And this whole thing has been goofed up as a result of shutting the economy off of the pandemic and having it starting to bring itself back again. So things are really kind of goofed up at the moment. Yeah, makes sense, though, that when you explain it that way, having that steady stream of income over a uh, uh, one year period uh, to be able to ladder like that. But again, as long as you uh, as long as you know what you're doing and you're able to uh, tread lightly and get great advice from uh, from someone like Merle. We got another caller on the line at 715-845-2155. Good morning. You're making financial sense. Hi, who are we talking to? Ann. Morning, Ann. Good morning. I have a question about I-bonds. If I, we have some uh, couple thousand dollars that we aren't going to need and mm -hmm. they're inflationary, yeah. uh, what, what, how important or is it? Well, I-bonds have become enormously uh, important. It's kind of interesting is, is a friend of mine sent me a text while we've been on the show, and so, so you're going to act as a test subject because we're going to answer your question and my friends as well. So her question was, I, I think I want to buy some I-bonds. Uh, because the I stands for inflationary uh, protection. Um, and should I buy them through Treasury Direct? Yes, Treasury Direct is where you would buy them. So I-bonds are good and bad at the same time, and it's important to note that um, uh, everybody understands how that goes. You know, with an I-bond, they don't send you any interest checks. And, and, boy, if you bought some back in October of 22, you're at about a 9.7%, I just read, um, for a rate of return on them. You look at that from an annualized rate, wow, that's fantastic. Except the interest rate changes every six months, so it's never the same thing. And you're not guaranteed that rate. You're only going to get that rate for that six-month period of time. Okay, does that make sense? Yes. Okay, so and there's two components to an I-series bond. So you have the underlying uh, base rate of an interest rate, which I don't know exactly what it is, but for an example, um, it, it, the, if the fixed rate was, for example, 0.3, and I think that might be where it's about is 0.3, 0.6, then you get the inflationary factor on top. Well, with inflation being so high, the 0.3 plus the you know inflation rate, that's what makes it such a great investment at the moment. The unfortunate part is, is that um, you're not going to get any interest on that. So though it paid that, it's a zero interest bond, which means you're buying a $10,000 bond, which is the max you can buy. You're buying it, for example, at 7000 having it be 10000 when it matures at some point in time, whether it's a 20-year or the 30-year bond. So, so on that, then, people look at it and say, well, geez, I'm going to get something for money. Well, you're going to get money for it eventually when you sell it or when it matures, which could be a long ways out. And people need to understand that point. It's not going to put interest into your account on a daily basis. So, so with it, if inflation goes down next year or the year after, 
um, that inflation component is, is really going to drop off. And then the rate of return you're going to receive on this could be a whole heck of a lot less. Um, in fact, and what's interesting, and I don't expect this happening anytime soon, by the way, Ann, is that uh, there's uh, not so long ago, uh, your uh, rate of return on the I-bonds was negative because inflation wasn't there and the amount that you earned uh, was barely anything. And so when you bought an I-bond, you actually lost money for a while. Um, uh, it, it's a, eventually you got that money back, but it was kind of interesting that you had a negative income on that. So the other part of it is you can sell it into the marketplace um, through Treasury Direct. They'll, you know, they'll buy that back because that's a, an entity that does that. Um, uh, and you can buy that, but if you do it before the maturity, you're going to lose six, I'm sorry, three months worth of interest. So if your rate of return was supposed to be 9%, you're going to lose essentially a third of that um, uh, if you sell it before the maturity of that 20 or 30 years out. So those are just some of the things to look at on the, uh, the inside. In fact, as I'm going through here, if you bought it from May to October, October of 22, um, your interest rate would have been 9.62%, which is fantastic. But remember that interest rate is only good for that six-month period of time, and then it resets itself for the next six months on uh, whatever it's going to be. What's the minimum amount of years that you have to have it? Well, till maturity, two different parts again. Um, until maturity, um, it's 20 years. 20, okay. You can sell it before maturity, for example, in a sell, you know, uh, Treasury Direct. You can sell it beforehand, but you're going to lose three months' worth of interest. And I think, and I'm going from memory here, but I think you have to keep it, boy, I, th I think you have to keep it for a minimum of one year, I think it is. Okay. Um, I, I don't know if it's five. I'd have to dig a little bit deeper on that. I'm just pulling up a, a bullet points for it to make sure I sound like I'm smart when I'm talking about this on air. That was an attempt at humor there, and you're supposed to laugh at this point here. Um, uh, but I think you have to keep it. Um, I'm sorry, I just popped it up. If you have a um, a 20-year and you keep it or sell it for fewer than five years, um, you'll have that three-month worth of interest deducted. Okay. Okay. So sort of five. Yeah. So it's I would think about it as a five-year investment. Now. Right. If the interest rates drop down, let's say inflation comes down to 2%, um, three months' worth of interest to break it in less than five years isn't going to be that big of a deal. Right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. I hope that helps. Sure. All righty. Bye. All right. Thanks for calling. 715-845-2155 is the number to call if you've got a question for uh, Merle Kelch as we've been uh, kind of talking about bonds here on this segment on Making Financial Sense with Merle Kelch. Entirely not what I expected this morning. Kelch and Associates. Hey, like we said, our our banter, our, our questions between each other are just filler for the uh, for in-between callers. If, the, if uh, folks have something that they'd like to chat about or uh, something that has perked their interest, uh, certainly feel free to give us a call at 715-845-2155. So uh, my question, I guess, uh, when you're talking about uh, these bonds and things like that, uh, are, are these, uh, you mentioned municipal bonds and different kinds of bonds. So these are actually the, uh, the funds for projects such as, you know, school remodeling projects. Uh, that are going to take place uh, here in Wausau, correct? That's that's those are the kind of bonds we're talking about. Um, those are municipal bonds, different types of animals. Um, every entity borrows money, and a bond is nothing more alone. You know, when you when a person says I bought a bond, that's really not true. You didn't buy a bond, but that's the vernacular that we accept. 
what you really did is you gave a loan and you received the certificate back, whether it's electronic or actual physical paper, which is not too many of those anymore. But you actually gave a loan to an entity, whether it's a corporation, a municipality, um, you gave them a loan for something. So there's different ramifications in each one of the bonds. Corporate bonds, of course, you're, you're looking at the corporation and their ability to make money and, and pay that note back at some point in time and, and to pay that loan back. So you can buy bonds that are brand new, which might be 10, 15, or 20 years out. You can buy bonds that have been around for 20 years and have five years left. So it's all available on the secondary marketplace. Um, you know, Corporate bonds are great, especially for income. They work out really nice. And when interest rates are at a good rate, I love municipals because you can get interest and it becomes tax-free. Long ago, and I haven't seen them like this for years, folks, but long ago, I love the brewer bonds, as they call them, which is the uh, it was the Southeast Sport Authority bonds, which created uh, Miller Park, well, now American Family Park. But mm-hmm. um, those things were paying 5.1% tax-free interest um, and reinsured and guaranteed at the same time. You, you couldn't lose with them. Uh, but you put the tax rate, and it was like earning t- uh, about 7% with no risk. That um, is a fantastic, but you could only buy them in $100,000 blocks because they were s- so big and so popular, they didn't need to be broken apart uh, by a brokerage house. And so um, we had a standing order for them whenever they popped up and buy them because because it was a Wisconsin sports store. It's also Wisconsin tax free. So it was just a fantastic bond. Well, when interest rates then you know, went down so low, the prices just jumped up so high on those that they – just weren't affordable your yield rather than being 5.1 percent paying um, because you had to pay such a premium you're getting maybe two percent or one and a half percent well at the time you could buy it put that money in the bank at the same interest rate um, uh, you know comparatively and had zero risk because you had the fdic so they fell out of uh, favor as did the whole marketplace you know so corporate bonds of course you're based upon a corporation municipalities based upon the municipalities uh um, uh, credit rating. So if a company doesn't pay, well, the money could be lost like anything else. You still want to diversify. Um, municipalities, and many of those, they buy reinsurance on the inside, so they insure the principal and interest in case something screws up with a municipality. And just to tell stories about some of the bonds over the years, um, you know, we had some bonds that um, uh, we bought, and I'd like to look at bonds that are uh, backed by some sort of a revenue. Um, I like tollway bonds, you know, bonds that are paid by tollways. Um, I like waterworks bonds that are paid by the water bill. And we bought some Detroit water bill bonds at the time when the city of Detroit was going broke uh, because people still are buying water. Granted, the water might have been bad, but that was before we bought the bonds. We didn't know our, that was after <laughs> we bought the bonds. We right. didn't know about that part. But what happened is, though the city of, of uh, Detroit went broke, uh, they still had to have the water and they still had the revenue. And I think we bought them for our clients at the time at about 92 or 93. Remember, 100 is what you get back. That's par. We bought them at 92 or 93. City of Detroit went through its bankruptcy, said we need to make sure that these bonds are good. Um, they went through and they bought them back for us at 98, and we received well over 5% for seven or eight years along the way and made money in the principal on the long way, on, on along the way inside of bonds. And so um, bonds are fun. I enjoy doing them, but they can be complex because it's not as simple as buying XYZ stock today selling XYZ stock tomorrow or in six months. Um, there's a lot more work that goes into uh, uh, doing the math behind it to make sure they're a good purchase. 
Yeah, indeed. And uh, that's why, uh, again, we uh, sit down and we do this uh, every week to uh, to explain it for the people. Well, we got mostly one... they're getting it. No. Yeah, exactly. we got one segment left here on Making Financial Sense with Merle Kelch on AM550, FM 99.9 WSAU. We'll be back after we check in with Chris one more time, except this time he's not having breakfast. He's bringing us this day. 8.54 on this uh, Saturday morning here on AM 550, FM 99.9 WSAU, 56 degrees outside the WSAU studios on our way to a daytime high. Near about, we'll get to about 75 today, but then we're going to be in the 60s for both Sunday and Monday. So conditions going to stay a bit on the cooler side here before we settle into the 70s. Uh, here, getting into the second week of June already. Uh, Merle Kelch in studio for making financial sense today. Merle, we've covered bonds today. We covered a bit of the market volatility uh, earlier today. And uh, one thing that I know has been on a lot of people's minds as well, well, at least on the minds of uh, people that get it, the uh, Bitcoin crash. Are we going to a recovery as well in the cryptocurrencies market? This is something that I know that uh, you've got a bit of experience with as well, and I know you're not exactly uh, sold on it yet, but it is still something that uh, people are interested in these this yeah, yeah. time of year. I like the time. I like. I mean, I'm a, a fan of what it does, but uh, what it has could be, but I'm not as it is right now. Mm-hmm. What we're finding right now is that um, because of the uncertainty starting inside of the marketplaces, people want to own things they can hold and touch. And cryptocurrency is a computer program. I mean, let's face it, no matter what you look at, computer pro- currencies are they're a computer program. There's no asset. There's nothing held behind it. There's no company structure, profit. They're not making a product. They're not creating a product. It's just nothing more than a computer program that companies are trading back and forth. That's all that it is. So what's happening is we're seeing a big drop inside of the marketplace because people have, uh, well, maybe they're realizing it, but that money is now starting to go to more hard assets they can hold on to. Um, we're seeing and hearing about a lot of cryptocurrency that's being sold off and going into what's called defensive assets. And defensive assets doesn't mean defense as in, you know, war type of things, but things that you know, use, touch, and that kind of stuff. And so um, if you go to Peter Lynch from uh, Fidelity uh, Magellan Fund fame, he used to say, um, I like to go through my house and buy the companies of the stuff that I use inside of my house. So if you look at your toothpaste manufacturer, you look at your toothbrush manufacturer, you open under your kitchen sink and look at the products that you use to clean your home um, when you're, you're you know taking care of your paper products and paper towel you look at those types of names of what he said you want to do so those are would be defensive type of stocks mm-hmm. then you're looking open your you look at your canned goods and say what well what name brand around those um, and so you look at those things and say which one of those are, are making money and so you're starting to see money leaving what's called risk on assets which certainly cryptocurrency would be um, and those money's leaving those risk on assets and are going into more defensive types of stocks, which is, you know, driving up that Dow because the Dow is full of a whole bunch of those big, large, mature companies you've seen for a long time. So with that, what's kind of interesting is an article popped up literally as we were chatting right here, which is, um, you know, looking at uh, where things might be cheap. And an article pops up here um, that says uh, small cap growth stocks are amazingly cheap. So it pops up for an article here inside of uh, uh, Market Watch, and so a um, small check cap stock, for example, would be a risk on asset that'd be highly volatile, and you're starting to see that money pulling away, and so those prices have dropped off, and now those are cheap. So same reason we've seen money leaving cryptos and going into other areas. Some people are just losing their can in cryptos and just getting mm-hmm. out. I mean that's a, another part of it too. 
Uh, there's one of the cryptos I know Tom pointed out a couple of weeks ago when we were in studio. Um, one of them actually dipped to dipped down and went to zero for a little while, and then came back up the inner day. So I don't remember which one it was. Wow. Um, uh, one of the cryptocurrency platforms, which is a company that trades the cryptos, mm-hmm. um, actually just laid off a whole bunch of people uh, this past week. And it was mm-hmm. an article I don't have in front of me, folks. But so so the crypto marketplace as a risk on asset is is. Uh, getting hats handed to them at pretty good points in time because people are taking risk out of their portfolio, and that's one of the highest risks that are out there at the moment. I believe that was a, a cryptocurrency company that is owned by the Winklevoss twins that's it, yes. of Harvard fame. Yep. Now, for those of you that don't know the story, the Winklevoss twins were involved in Facebook with Mark Zuckerberg. I believe one of them may have been Mark Zuckerberg's roommate when he was uh, firing up the Facebook platform. So... They missed out on that, and now their cryptocurrency company is uh, a little iffy right now as well. Oops. Oops. <laughs> Talk about missed opportunities. Merle, we've yeah. got uh, we've got uh, 15 seconds left. How can people get a hold of you uh, on Bridge right, Street folks, in Wausau? Stop in and say hello and hi. Third Avenue, Bridge Street, Wausau, Wisconsin. Come on in and say hello. Give us a call locally, 715-849-3600. Toll free, 866-355-5100. Or find us online at KelchAssociates.com. I'm Mike Leishner. We've been making financial sense with Merle Kelch. We'll turn you back over to Tom King next week here on WSAU and WSAU.com. Of course, podcasts always available at WSAU.com as well. News headlines coming up next.